Okay, let's get started with Sefer Shmos and Parshas Shmos as we have a new beginning here in uh, our uh, Parsha Shiurim and all of Klal Yisrael have a new beginning uh, relating to Sefer Shmos. So first let's focus on what we haven't done in, uh, in a long time. Focus on a thought from the Lubavitcher Rebbe relating to the name of the Parsha. Shmos, that is what we call the uh, Parsha, the Eila Shmos B'nei Yisrael Haba Imitzrayma. So what is the significance of the uh, name of the Parsha? So Lubavitcher Rebbe has a fascinating insight. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe in source number one. The word Shmos means names, as we know, Shmos B'nai Yisrael. What's in a name? What is the significance of a name? Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe. A person's name is an extremely personal matter. Whenever a person hears his name called out, the word resonates in his heart and lifts his spirits. When we hear our name, it makes us proud. It makes us feel good. It makes us realize that, that somebody is recognizing me. Somebody is, is noting my presence and acknowledging my presence. That's what we feel in a name, because a name goes to my core. It goes to my inside. People will pay fortunes to have their name written on a building as they yearn for their identity to be perpetuated in stone. Because a name is something that identifies me. It's such a deep-rooted entity that if a person faints, whispering his name into his ear could actually bring it back to consciousness. This is the inner significance of a name. And as we know, there are many sources that say that the parents have a special siyata deshmaya when they are naming a child in terms of this name, that name, but once the name is given, once the name is used, there is a special significance to that name reflecting the mahus of the, of the, uh, of the child. So that's on the one hand. A name is our mahus, as we know, the Mepharshim explained by Adam. Adam called her Chava, and all the, every, every name Adam gave had inner significance. But on the other hand, says Lobavitcher Rebbe, if you think about it, a name could be so superficial. Right? If somebody calls Shalom, in the room, three people turn around, and I'll be one of them. And so that means it's not really me. It's not specifically me, because all three of us could have the same name. So a name could also be very superficial and very external. So how does that work? A name thus expresses somewhat of a paradox, says the Rebbe. On the surface, a name tells you nothing about a person. And yet, on probing further, it is a word that represents a person's total uniqueness. That's a name. It's so deep, and yet if we don't appreciate it, and if we just use it externally, it's not so deep. And it can mean ten different people or um, entities in the room. And maybe suggest the Lubavitch Rebbe, that's why our Parsha, and maybe our first couple of Parshios is known as the Shemos story. Because as we read the Parsha, we also have a paradox we read here of a moment of gloom for the Jewish people. We read Mitzrayim. We read things are terrible. We read as the Geula is starting, it gets worse. And the Parsha ends off on a low. The Parsha ends off where Moshe is having Yehosh. And Moshe says, I told you I didn't want to go. And I told you this is not the plan. And it gets worse. But deep inside we know that's not true. Deep inside we know that it, this is Geula. This is going up. This is the first step. As we know, a seed has to first destroy itself, so to speak, and explode, and then it could grow. And that's why Shemos, which is all about externally, it doesn't look so deep, but if you think about it, a name is so deep. That's the Parsha. That's Parsha Shemos. You read it on the surface. 
It looks like uh, nothing is happening. But what a glimmer of hope appears on the horizon. When Moshe comes to redeem the Jewish people, the immediate result is that it gets worse. But we know this is just a concealment of the Jewish spirit. Deep down, that spirit always remains intact and alive and on its way to Geula. And this then brings us to the, the this whole Sefer. As we know, we're about to start Sefer. Hagula, again, Lubavitcher Rebbe got us started. But now let's talk about the general storyline that we're about to start. We finished the Yosef story. We finished the family story. Now we get into the nation story. And we mentioned in past years, I didn't give it to you again, the thought of the Ramban. The Ramban writes in the, his Akdama to Sefer Shmos, Hishlam HaKasav Sefer Breshis, Shehu Sefer HaYetzira, Bechidah Sha'olam, the Yetzira is called Notzar, right? We finished the, I'm, I'm reading it, it's not on your sheet, right? The, um, Sefer Breshis is the book of creation, Right, this is the Ramban's Lashad of Maisa Avos, Yitzira Labanim, not just Simon Labanim. Through their actions, they create what's going to happen in the future. And then he says, What is that? We're about to start the Sefer of Galus Vigula. Where does Gala start? Mitzrayim. Where does Geula end reach its climax? Not at Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. Not at Maimon Har Sinai. Says the Ramban, Hakamas HaMishkan, and Hashem's presence residing in the Mishkan. As we will read in a couple of months, Be'ezus Hashem, the last few psukim of Sefer Shmos, the end of Parshas Pekudei, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence rests on the Mishkan. Ki Anan Hashem ala Mishkan Yomam, ve'eshti alay labo, le'enei chol beis Yisrael b'chol ma'asehem. That is the ultimate of Geula, as the Ramban writes, Har Sinai is continued through the experience of the Mishkan. This is Sefer Galus and Geula. And the question that we may ask, a fundamental question that is asked by many, why did it have to be this way? Hashem was creating a nation. So we had the family line, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. But already, by the first Jew, nothing happened yet. Hashem tells Avram, by the Brisbane of Asarim, it's going to be a tough start. I have good news and I have not good news. The good news is, you're the chosen one. I'm going to have the chosen people from you. It's going to be an awesome eternal relationship. It's great. The bad news is that you have to suffer first. The bad news is that there's going to be an Eretz Lolahem and there's going to be a Shibud and it's going to hurt and it's not going to be pleasant. And then there's going to be Geula. And the question is asked, so what did we need the Shibud for? Why did it have to start this way? And that's the question that Rabbi, Rabbi Sachs asks in his safe, in his book, Letter in the Scroll. Again, he writes this in a few places. He wonders, why did Jewish history, literally, Jewish history, why did it have to start this way? Again, Avram was promised and now we have. Why couldn't we just be born a nation? Right, Yosef, the tribes, start populating the world and spread the word of God. Done. What do we need the whole Sheba for? 210 years of, of, of such difficulty for the, and says Rabbi Sachs on line three, as we have already seen, Judaism is a religion of questions. The Pesach Seder begins with the questions asked by a child. Yes, there is one question never asked. Why was the Exodus necessary at all? What did we have to go through the first half of Sefer Shmos for? First few partios. Had God not led the Israelites into Egypt, we would never have had to rescue and set them free. Right? History, why don't we get to the result and not the end? Right? What happened? We were in Canaan. Hashem had to leave us, lead us 
outside of Canaan. Go down to Mitzrayim. What's the goal? Coming back to Canaan. Coming back to Eretz Yisrael. So we were there already. Yaakov and his children lived there already. No. What do we have to do? We have to leave. We have to leave. We have to have difficulty. And eventually we have to come back. So why was that the master plan? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu have that? Why then did, these, did the Jews have to leave the land before they could enter it? Why did they first have to be slaves before they could be free? Explains Rabbi Sachs. Again, in his uh, unique Lashon. The Torah is the unique endeavor to communicate the truths that can never be told as system, the truths that can only be told as story, handed for parents to children, preserved not as a document, but as a living memory, the Chulu. And he continues and, and asks that this is not even the only time we have such an idea. Avram Avinu and Sarah, no child. No child. Okay, Kharashbrahim is Avilas and Shalsadikim. No child, David and David and David, a hundred years old, ninety years old, finally have a child, and then what? The child is taken from them by the Akeda. Kadesh Baruch Hu says, "Okay, now it's time for me to take the child." And Avram obediently passes it to give, and then Hashem says, "Okay, now you can have it back." Same type of idea. Why the taking? Why the removing when we could just have the child? Right? Why was, did we need to lose the child before we could have the child? Right? The bottom right of the first page, it is one of the most devastating moments in all literature. All of Avraham and Sarah's hopes are about to be destroyed at the command of the very God who had promised them a child. Silently, Avraham takes his son, travels to the mountain, builds him his bath, binds his son, takes the knife, and lifts his hand. At that moment, a voice from Shemayim cries, Stop! Do not touch the boy. And so the trial ends. And we ask, what is the purpose? Why the drawn-out hopes, the repeated disappointments? And the answer, there's such an obvious answer, but the Rabbi Sachs suggests, the answer is this. What we have, we eventually take for granted. Only what we lose and are given back again do we not take for granted, but consciously cherish and constantly protect. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to put it into our biological makeup, into our DNA, that we need to appreciate what we have. We didn't leave through Shiva Mitzrayim, but we have a chiv to remember it and relive it every year. Because freedom is only appreciated when we don't have freedom and when we lack the freedom. And to realize what a ben chorin is, in l'cha ben chorin el we first had to be an eved. And once we, we wore avadim, then we could appreciate. The sequence of events told time and again in different contexts. The axes of Jewish spirituality. Nothing is more natural than procreation. Having a child. No. As a Jew, we realize it's not natural. But to be a Jew is to see nothing as merely natural, not even the process of bringing a new generation into the world. Avram and Sarah had a child because they so nearly did not have a child. And says Rabbi Sachs in the next paragraph, just as Avram and Sarah lost and were giving back their child, so too the Jews in Mitzrayim lost and were giving back their freedom. And we find, he says, so many times in history where nations just become who they are and they don't have this appreciation. And therefore, they torture others. And therefore, they subjugate others. So many halachas in the Torah make us remember, Ki Eved Hayisa Be'eretz Mitzrayim. So many times it says that in the Torah. And so many mitzvahs are Zecher Mitzrayim. We have to remember that moment. We are called to live the truth, 
the right side. The Jewish people were from the outset called upon to live out the truth that it's free worship, free human beings. Before they could taste freedom, they first had to lose it. Says Rabbi Sachs, and obviously that's something that we always appreciate, that sometimes we don't appreciate things until we lose it. The key of life is to appreciate things when we have them still and before we lose them. But that was put into our genetic makeup. This idea of losing before gaining so that we can appreciate what we have. Okay, moving right along. So now we get into some of the psukim now. So we have at the beginning of the parsha, the Shvatim listed, Yosef and all the Shvatim have died, and all of a sudden we're on a new a new feel. As we start off Shmos, we feel different than we felt with Vayigash and Vayachi. When we felt with individuals, all of a sudden we're connecting with the nation. We're connecting with the people. We're connecting with our Am. And we have a different feel. Right? There's no name mentioned until Paragimel, until Moshe Rabbeinu, as we'll get to Hashem soon. But Vayakem Malachadash, I should say no Jewish name. And that there are, obviously the Shvatim are mentioned, but they have passed on. So the king of Egypt says we have to deal, we have to deal with the Jewish problem. We have to deal with this. Havan Eschak Malo, Pen Yirbe, Vayakisagrenim Melchama, they're gonna, they're gonna come up and, and hurt us. So we have to deal. The Medrash talks about who was his cabinet at that time. Eov and Bilam. Right? Not for now. But Yasim Olaf, sorry, Misim. So he appointed people to afflict. Lomana noso visivlosam. But says the Torah in Pasuk Yudbeis, Vakasher Ya'anu oso, the more they afflicted us, Ken Yirbe, Vachen Yefrotz. So too we multiplied. The more they afflicted us, the more we multiplied. Parenthetically, we mentioned in the past, some suggest that maybe that's why Shevet Levi was the smallest of the Shvatim later on in Sefer by Midbar, because they were not afflicted. So they weren't zochet to the special bracha of the multiplying from the affliction. But Rashi quotes, as we know, Rashi quotes that we were able to have many, many children. Says Rashi, so many we had. And Rashi quotes that we were able to have six Bekeres Echad. Right? Six Bekeres Echad. That's a lot of children. Asks the Maharalmi Prague, is there anything specific about the number six? We spoke about numbers in the past a couple weeks ago. But why Dafka? Six babies. Five is also a lot. Even twins would be, you know, more than the natural, let's say. The twins, twins sometimes uh, might be natural. So, but why is it? Why is it? Asks the Maharal, both in the Gur Aryeh and in the Gvuros, which we're going to uh, read from. Why is it that there was six? Our Rashi is the Ampasik Zion. The Rashi that says six is Ampasik Zion, not Yudbeis. Vayishritzu, shayodos shisha bekeres echad. Right? And the question is, why Dafka? Why Dafka 6? Question number 1 asks the Maharal. Question number 2. So is there any explanation that we could give to Dafka from the subjugation and from the torture that itself led to to more and more Jews? Is there any way that we could, we could explain that, asks the Maharal? So if you look at source 4, which is the, somebody put together the Maharal al Torah, it's a summary of what it says in, in uh, Gvuras Hashem and Perak Yudbeis. Says the Maharal, Hadvar Matim, Kol Yitzur, Shekayam Ba'olam Kachoshu, Yedukev Yeune, Kachu Yedach Vidach La'avaat. Any other creature or creation in the universe, the more it is crushed, 
the more it is pushed down, the closer it gets to extinction. If I have anything and I start breaking it, it breaks and breaks and breaks. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And if we think about Jewish history, says the Maharal, it's not true. They almost decimate us, Rahman al-Islan, in so many different times in Jewish history, and then all of a sudden we sprout. And all of a sudden we start again. And we blossom. It's so not like anything else in the, na- in the, in the natural world. Is there any way that we can explain that? The more we're tortured, so many times darkness leads to light. Sometimes it appears through the difficulties, the next generation comes out strong. So where does that come from? Right, the uh, the Rishonim and, and the uh, after the there's so many times the right the greatest the greatest time period in Jewish history in terms of of, of expansion of of Torah is the time of the Rishonim, and that was terrible with crusades and pogroms and inquisitions and blood libels and that's where Rashi and Tosfos and the Rambam and, and and all the all the Rishonim came from. So Kasher Yanu also King Yerbevachin Yefrotz says the Maharal. Again, this is the summarizing. The Jewish makeup is different than any other makeup of any being in history. Right, that's his lashon. The dominant koach in anything else in the world, whether it's non-Jewish or anything else in the world, it's the physical the physical, external makeup, that is what is the power, the driving force, the ikr. Right, the focus is focusing on the body. The stronger the guf gets, the more focus there is on one's guf, the less focus there is on one's neshama. And therefore, as the guf gets stronger and stronger, the neshama goes more into the background. It doesn't mean, as we'll see, not to take care of our bodies. We'll talk about that. But, in general, if that's the focus of my, of my life, if my goof becomes weaker, but it comes to a Jew, the Jew zikr, the defining makeup of a Jew is the neshama. Nasa Adam, says the Ramban. Nasa, it's the Guf and the Neshamba, but which is the Iker, which is the Tafel? So Nasa Adam, says the Maharal, the Iker of the Jew is the Neshama. And that's why the Guf and the Neshama do not always work in tandem. If I focus too much on my guf, on the physical, which means the gashmi, the material, then I'm less focused on the spiritual. And therefore we understand. If the umos ha'olam try to push down our guf, then our ikr is able to blossom. And the next generation at least, Rahman al-Islam, again, in a specific case, it might not be true. Rahman al-Islam, there have been many karbanos. But Am Yisrael comes out as a stronger organism, as a unit, 
afterwards. That's exactly what the Pasuk means that we've seen it in Jewish history. The more they torture us, the more they try to hurt us. They want to get our goof. We're just going to come back stronger than ever. Turning the page. And the Maral said, he didn't, the, the mystery doesn't even understand this. By hitting us more, he's basically hitting himself. Because he doesn't realize that the less focus on our goof, the more our neshama has the ability to blossom. He's really hitting himself. So that makes our neshama. Again, parenthetically, this does not mean that we should not focus on our guf in terms of taking care of it. The Rambam says that's also a mitzvah. In Hilchas Deos, the Rambam puts in, in the same Mishnah Torah that the Rambam has, Hilchos Malvevelove, and Hilchos uh, Isurebiya, and uh, Hilchas Avelus, he has Hilchos Deos where he talks about that we have to do exercise and we have to take care of our bodies. The same Rambam in the Mishnah Torah, not only in his medical writings, but in the Mishnah Torah he puts it, meaning it is normative practice that every Jew has to fulfill. So, but that's as a means. It's not as an ends. The focus on the body as a means to be able to serve our Kaddish Baruch Hu better is ultimately really serving the Neshama. Because with a healthy body, we could then serve our Kaddish Baruch Hu, um, in an easier fashion, in a more focused fashion. But that is the answer to the second question. Let's get back to the first question for a moment, though. So why six babies? Out of any number. Could have had ten babies. It was a nace anyway. Just make it ten. That's even more. Three. So why six? So he says the Medrash. The Medrash tells us, we've quoted this a number of years ago, the Medrash tells us on line 9, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Paro and says, Paro, you think you're getting the most productivity from these, from these Jews? You're wrong. You work them every single day. They don't have a day off. You need, people need to recharge. People need to get, get a little rest and then they'll be able to work more. Paro says, you know what? Makes sense, you're right. You know what, okay, give him a day off. Which, which day do you think? Moshe, I don't know, how about tomorrow? Today happens to be Friday. How about tomorrow? And Moshe Rabbeinu got them a day off. So they only worked six days. They were only tortured six days. And therefore they had six children each time. Parallel to the six days that they were tortured, Kein Yirbeh, says the Maharal. And that's even why Moshe Rabbeinu gets the credit for giving us the gift of Shabbos. What do we say every Shabbos morning? And we can think about this now when we say that every... Yismach Moshe b'matnas chelko. Moshe gave a Shabbos as his extra chelak. He got that from Paro. He got that. So Am Yisrael could have a day. Ubachar Moshe b'yoma Shabbos. V'kivan. Remember, this is before Ma'abar Arsinai. This is Moshe Rabbeinu intuiting the idea of Shabbos, there was no chiyuvim yet, but the idea, Moshe Rabbeinu, right, he got it. And that's what we say on Shabbos morning. We know every Shemona Esrei of Shabbos is connected to a different event in history. Friday night is connected to Maisa Bracious in Atta Shabbos morning is connected to the Shabbos of Maimon Arsinai. We know everybody agrees that the Torah was given on Shabbos. And Mincha is Shabbos Lasilavo. Atta Echad of Shimcha Echad. That's talking about Bimos, Bimos HaMashiach. Past, past, and future. So that's Moshe Rabbeinu. Yisla Moshe Manas Chalko. 
And therefore, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says on line 17. He quotes, if we try to explain a person's life, we view things in terms of weeks. This week, next week, we view it in terms of weeks. So a week minus one explains the Maharal, leaf six, and that's where the parallel of Kasher Ya'anu Oso, Kin Yir Bevachin Yifrotz, comes from. Okay, moving right along. That gets us into the story of the Shibud. The Shibud starts, this year we're not going to focus on Shifra and Pua, we discussed that in past years, remember Yerucham's amazing thought, and now we get to Perak Base. Vayelech ish mi base Levi, vayikach is bas Levi. A man from the house of Levi takes a daughter from the house of Levi. Vatara isha the, she has a child. They see that he is good. Pretty amazing. They see he's good. The second he's born, they see he's good. That's why, as I'll say, that the whole house lit up. Maybe he was born Mahul. They hide him for three months. Chazal say that he was born three months early, and that's why they had three months to, to play with. And Moshe Rabbeinu's due date was really Vav Sivan on Shvuas, because he was born on Zion Adar. So that's another connection between Moshe Rabbeinu and Chag HaShvuas, because when, so to speak, his due date was according to Chazal. And they couldn't hide him anymore. They put him in a Tevas Gomeh, as we know the, as we know the story. The question that's asked already a little bit by the Rishonim is, why don't we have names here? No names. No names until Moshe. So some say that's the answer. We don't want it. Moshe's the focus. We'll, we'll f- figure out who his parents were afterwards. But we want to give Moshe in the lights, in the glamour. He would never give it to himself. So we have to give it to him. One approach we've mentioned. Others suggest we want to emphasize the specific human background of Moshe Rabbeinu. Since in other religions, they believe that their greatest leader did not have a physical human creation, we emphasize that ours does. Every human being does, and we're proud of that. And he became Moshe Rabbeinu, even though, etc. But maybe there's another idea that we'll mention this year, adding with another question. Who are these people, as we know? Abram and Yocheved. Abram and Yocheved is a nephew and an aunt. A relationship which the Torah would later asser. Yocheved is a daughter of Levi. Abram is a grandson, right? So uncle and aunt is mutter. Aunt and nephew is asser. So ask for Sternbach in the Tamvadas, source number six. Tamua. Heichnos Amram is Yocheved Odaso. Right, but that, out of all the women, that's the one. What's the message? And why aren't their names listed in any case? Suggest so the Tamadas, and he also says the same idea, the same Yisod, back in Parsha's Toldos. I gave them both to you from this Parsha and the next and that Parsha. Venire says the Tamadas, a thought that is we've mentioned in other contexts, but he says it right here. Shelafne matan Torah. What does it mean that the Avos kept the Torah before it was given? They obviously weren't commanded. And Amram wasn't commanded. Right? And Moshe wasn't commanded. We just spoke about Shabbos. So what does it mean? They didn't have to keep the Torah. And as we've mentioned, there were certain mitzvot that they didn't do and they violated. Yaakov married two sisters. And according to the Medrash, maybe even four sisters. Right? And, and, and there were matzevas built. And here, Amram and Yocheved explains the Tam Vadas. 
before and after Matan Torah are very different. Before Matan Torah, why would the Avos keep the mitzvos? Because of the results, not because of the action. Because if this action would achieve a result of closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I want to do that. I want to be close to Hashem. The Iker is the result. If Beruach Kadsham, if they felt instinctually that that result could be achieved through an action that is not a mitzvah, or maybe is even later going to be called an Avera, they could still do that. If they are being lishma, totally l'shem, getting close to HaKadosh Baruch because the whole thing is on a voluntary basis. I'll say it outside now, but then we'll see it inside. Chas v'shalom, once Maimon Harsinai occurs. Once Maimon Harsinai occurs, then the only closeness we get through to HaKadosh Baruch is through the mitzvah Hashem. And chas v'shalom, if we focus only on the result and not the maisim, many times in Jewish history, that led to tragic results. That could be the Cheta Egel, that could be Nadav and Avihu, right? That could be various times when the results were focused on and not the actions. But before Matan Torah, getting back to where we are right now, before Matan Torah, there's flexibility. Says the Tavadas. Now, let's read it. The Iker reason that anybody did a mitzvah before they had to was to connect to Hashem. I knew. Iker ha mitzvah haisa hatachlis vahalishmashaba. The Iker mitzvah was the result. Lo haofen bonasta. Not the exact way it was done. Because it wasn't mitzuve yet. It wasn't commanded. Vilachain, and that's why we find Amram married his aunt. What do you mean? It's Asr. It's not Asr. Amram saw that this was an unbelievable, righteous woman. And if he would be with this woman, they would be able to create a family that would have the three greatest leaders of that generation, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Unbel- what a, what a, you don't get a more powerhouse family than that. Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. And he, Baruch Kacho, saw that. What? See, he's not going to do it because later on it's going to become Usser. But it's not Usser. And the purpose of, quote, unquote, you can't even call it a mitzvah because mitzvah is the Shorish's mitzvah commanded. The, 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 the actions that they intuited that would later be mitzvos, most of the time those actions would result in closeness. But here he saw there was another one, a different action that happened not to be a mitzvah. And it happened to be an Avera later on in history, but that's okay. Because that's what the purpose of the mitzvah was at that time. The Remember who we're talking about, Amram. Remember Amram was one of the four people that never sinned, the Gemara tells us. This is Amram. And therefore, we're questioning his, his kavana? No, no, no. The Torah emphasizes Shevet Levi. Ishmi base Levi and a girl from Bas Levi. This was, what is Levi about? Levi's about Avodas Hashem. Levi's about Brischa Yinsoru, as we'll talk about. Levi's about Lishma. And that's why the Torah does not mention the name because the Torah is emphasizing that this wasn't just one individual and another individual. These were individuals that were Lashem Shemayim like Shevet Levi throughout history. 
has been l'shem shamayim. Line ten. The kiva shekol kavanasa ma'isa l'shma chutru bazek kodem ma'an Torah. The chain matzina biyakov does a bezachios. And he quotes from Mechaim Yivalajin the Nefesh Achaim. That's who many quote. The Nefesh Achaim discusses that when somebody is an enu mitzvah viyosa. If you want to look that up, that's in the Nefesh Achaim Aleph Chaf Aleph. He writes that there's a lot of flexibility because it's eno mitzvah viyosa. So don't worry about it. That's the goal. That's the result. But after, and that's why he says at the end, why he says ve'yelach ish be'bais levi v'ikach as bas levi lahadgish yoser be'bas levi she's davgu zelazeh bekedusha uvetara ka'avoda delaviim. It's like the avodas halaviim. This is their. This was part of their avoda. And he even says this. What's this? What is this doing in, in Toldos? Remember the story in Toldos. What does Yitzchak Avinu ask for? And Rivka sends two gedi izim. That's a lot of meat for one old man. Two goats, right? For Yitzchak Avinu. Two go- Why two goats? So Rashi quotes Chazal. It was Pesach. So one was the carbon Chagiga and one was the carbon Pesach. Great. They didn't go out of Mitzrayim yet. What were they doing? Right? The Gedim are Zechel and Mitzrayim. Explains with Sturmbach. That's, that's an element of the mitzvah. But the mitzvah the action is something that could bring close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the result, separate from the Zechel Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. Remember, all the mitzvahs existed before the Torah was created. Istakal Baraisu Bara Alma. The Torah existed before the world was created. It might have been read differently, but explains the Tamadas. But that's why he did these mitzvahs. Because the, he, Yitzchak, intuited that there were secrets, Kavanas Nistaros here, separate from the reason of Zechel Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. And that was added on afterwards. And therefore... That is why we have that before Matan Torah. But again, after Matan Torah, we know that there is no flexibility. After Matan Torah, we do exactly what we're supposed to do because that's how we achieve closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Right? We concretize our avoda through it. We can add on. We can embellish. We can have hinder mitzvah. There are areas where we can be creative within our tefillah. Right, we can add on within Avodas Hashem without violating anything. But first step is Kasher Siv Hashem as Moshe. Like the Beis Halevi writes later on in Sefer Shmos, in Parshas Vayakam Bakudeh, and I think it's in Kisisa, the original point, why it emphasizes so much at the end in Pakudeh, Kasher Siv Hashem as Moshe, Kasher Siv Hashem as Moshe, because the whole Mishkan was a tikkun for the Chet Egel, where they wanted a religious spiritual uplifting but not through the means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created. And maybe that was right after Mohammed Arsinai. They weren't used to it. Right before Mohammed Arsinai was, you know, focus on the result. So maybe with this this idea, we could understand it a little more. It was terrible. It was tragic. We lost the Luchos Rishonos because of it. But maybe we could understand it a little more because this is what religion was before Mohammed Arsinai. And then 40 days later, they didn't get the message yet. And that's why they worshipped in the way that they wanted to worship. But that is not close to Sakharish Baruch Hu. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu had to teach them through the Mishkan, Kasher Tziv Hashem Es Moshe. Okay. Moving to the next page. Moving to the next page. We're going to skip number seven for now. We're going to come back to number seven at the end. We're going to go to number eight. Go to number eight. Let's get back to the world of the Rishonim. A fundamental Ramban which uh, we have not yet noted in uh, previously. So what happens? The end of Perak Bays. 
Their cry goes up to Hashem. So, question. The Ramban does not ask this question, but he's answering this question. The Pasuk says, Hashem heard our Shava, Hashem heard our Na'aka, and Hashem remembered the promise that he made to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. What he needed, our cry, to remember the covenant of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that's separate. Why didn't that happen automatically? We cried, Hashem listened, and then it says, he heard our Philos, and he remembered the bris of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. What does that have to do with us, our screaming out? He should have remembered that even without our screaming out. It's as if that wasn't triggered until Pasach of Dalid, So why did that need a trigger? Hashem already promised. Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. Says the Ramban. Source number eight. He quotes the Rebbe Eben Ezra. He quotes Rashi. Line three. Let me explain this. Practice what's called Hester Panim. Right? He, he took away his divine Hashkacha from us. And now he heard, Klomar, what does it mean that he heard our Tfilos? He changed. No more Hester Panim. Now there's Gilui Panim. Hashem is looking at us. Imagine, right, we're, we're, uh, you have, trying to talk to somebody who's behind a closed door. That's Hester Panim. You're talking, but there's nobody listening. Opens the door, looking at you. Same conversation, but now there's Gilu Panim. That's Hester Panim and Gilu. So Hashem opened the door. Hashem knows. And, as we just read the Psukin, there are a lot of things mentioned. Hashem hears their crying out. Hashem remembers. Hashem saw their suffering. And he knew deep down their situation. What was step one? What's the first thing that happened? Before Hashem remembered the Brisavos, before he saw our suffering, what was the first step that triggered all of this? Says the Ramban. Even though the 210, which equaled 400 years, are over, are done, they would not have been redeemed. We wouldn't have been redeemed. What was the trigger? We davened. And we cried out. Says the Ramban, even if HaKadosh Baruch Hu has something he wants to give us, even if a geula is waiting to happen, it's not going to happen until we ask for it. It's not going to happen until we turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, God, you can help us, please. That's how Hashem created the world. This is the type of system. We don't even have to look farther than Parshas Bracious. I didn't give it to you. Remember the Rashi and Parshas Bracious. The Pusik says that Hashem had the grass ready, but didn't rain yet. Why? Rashi, their quotes, I think at the beginning of Parak Bays maybe, that until Adam was created, Hashem wasn't going to make it rain. Until Adam was created, there's a need for the rain, he dominates for the rain, then he'll bring the rain. 
Because that's how the world works. Even if there is geula ready, it's not going to happen until we ask for it. And we see that in the Gemara. The Gemara tells us at the end of Masechah's Nida, Ayin Amid Beis. I gave the two out of the three statements. But the Gemara says, Mayasa Adam Yechkam. The person wants to get, be wise. Person wants to be uh, get uh, better at learning. Person wants to be well. What does he do? Amalahem says the Gemara Yarbebi Yeshiva Bimai Peschora. You just got to sit and learn. You want to get better at any anything? You just got to sit and do it. You want to get better at something? Learn. Amar Amru Harbe also gave Lahoalahem. But what do you mean? A lot of people tried. A lot of people have done that. Cracked their head open and tried to figure it out, and they couldn't do it. Ah. There's another ingredient. You can't just learn. You have to daven that you're going to learn also. You, you have to do it, and a, coupled with that is davening that it works. Right? We learn, and then also every morning. Make it sweet in my, in my, uh, in my heart. And that applies to everything. He says, Marshal Amalek was like a king, a human king that has having a suda, and he sends to his beloved ones from what's in front of him, my Kamashwalan, Daha Biloha Losagya. One does not work with the other, right? This is the classic Gemara in Shas, Hishtablus, and I wouldn't say Bitachon, Tfila. Hishtablus and Tfila, which is based on Bitachon, but Hishtablus and Tfila, that's what it's about. Or, person wants to make money. What do you do? You gotta, you gotta have a shtabus. I harbor asukain? No. You also, yavakish rachamim imishahosher shalom. It's gotta be with tefillah. Liyah kesev aliyazav. And the Gemara continues and talks about children, child rearing, hishtabus. And, Revolvi writes, at least 50%, maybe more, of bringing up children is davening for our children. Limi shahabanim v'habanos shelo, and that's exactly what the Ramban says here. The Ramban says it was ready to happen, but it wasn't going to happen until they davened for it. Rav Pinkus in his classic Sefer and Sharm notes this more than once. I gave it to you in one of the places where he writes this on page Lamed in the Sefer. And the Sharm if you remember. Um, is organized by every chapter is a different word used for tefillah. And he talks about, so even in this Pasuk, we have na'aka and shava, right? Each of these are not synonyms. If there's a different word, it's a different type of tefillah. Bakasha, right? So he goes through. That's the, this whole saver is organized. Uh, so a lot of it is based on these psukim. So, Rapinkus writes, Even though Hashem knows everything, but this is how he created the world. Hashem created the world, it's as if he doesn't see. I, I don't know. It's like a parent. A parent, like a child, like wants to, I have no idea. I have no idea. Like the, the parent's waiting for the child to like ask and show. And I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's what Kodesh Baruch Hu does for us. It's ki'ilu enoroa. Because he wants us to ask for it. He wants us to beseech. He doesn't know. Why did he do this? That's asking about divine motivation that's beyond our comprehension. It doesn't matter why. But this is the reality. This is the reality. He created the world with this structure. 
maybe to create a dependence that we have on him. Even if somebody's in a, a terrible tzara, if we don't explicate it, Hashem doesn't know. Hashem doesn't know. And therefore, we are not going to get the help that we so desperately need. Right? A, a child is crying, but if he doesn't ask the, the, the son for help, and he gives the muscle turning the page. He says, imagine, he says, imagine you have a father who is an expert cardiologist. Unbelievable, the world's expert. The son's having heart pain. Doesn't tell his father. Doesn't tell his father. You, I could be the greatest heart surgeon in the world, but if you don't tell me what the problem is, I'm not going to be able to help you. That's how Kaddish Baruch runs the world. He is the greatest cardiologist. He's the greatest CEO of the company. He's the greatest everything. But if we don't tell him, Kaviyachol, he doesn't know. That's what he writes on line 8. He's dying. He's the doctor of this. Right, he's not here to help you. My father doesn't have a I didn't tell him. He doesn't know. Hello, to tell your father. Right, we, it's such a gift. Kodesh Baruch Hu says, just open up your mouth, tell him. And by the way, it doesn't only mean during the davening times. If we're going through a difficult time, we can turn to Hashem throughout the day. Right, and whatever we want, just turn to Kodesh Baruch Hu. Kein mamesh adavar azeh, gzeris hakasuf, shakodesh Baruch Hu shomea kaviyachol baaznayim, v'lo mishtamesh baruch hakodesh. Kodesh Baruch Hu does that. Yes, it says, we say, heg yom libi, we say, and Hashem knows my heart. But still, Hashem wants us to explicate it. And that's what the Ramban says occurred in Mitzrayim. The Geula was only triggered when we cried out to HaKadosh Baruch. Okay. Moving right along. That was the Ramban. Now let's go to one of his contemporaries, students a little bit, Rabbeinu Bachai. Rabbeinu Bachai. Later on in the Parsha, now we get to, we're going to skip the whole Sneh incident this year. I apologize, but there's just so much, as we know. But Baruch Hashem, that's why we have years and years. Every year we get to focus on something else. But Hashem, we should be Zoha for many more years. But says the, says the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu is told to go to Paro. And he doesn't want to, but eventually he doesn't have a choice. When you go, you will see tremendous miracles. He's not going to send that. I'm, I'm letting you know now, Moshe. He's not going to listen. But this is what you tell Paro. Tell Paro, my son, my firstborn Israel. And I will say to you, I'm going to kill Bincha Becharecha. Do you think Paro cares that Hashem thinks that Am Yisrael is his beloved firstborn? What, what is, why does Moshe meant to give Paro that information? You want the next passage? Okay, tell Paro, let my people go. I understand that. That's giving him a message he's going to refuse anyway. But there's a whole passage, the debor that Hashem says. Hashem says to Moshe, tell Paro, b'ni b'chori Yisrael. 
And the next pasik with another va'omar elecha, and I will tell you, shalachas benivi avdeni, send out my ben, and there it does not repeat pechori, it just says shalachas beni, and you're not going to, hinei anochi horech bigcha becharecha. I'm going to kill your firstborn. So question, why does Paro care that B'nai Yisrael are considered the firstborn of God? Number two, why in the very next Pasuk do we have B'nai Yisrael referred to as the son of Hashem without the Bechor appellation? Right? Hashem said, uh, tell Paro, says Hashem, they are my Bechor. Tell him, let my son, not my Bechor, Shalach has B'ni, so why did it flip and not mention it? Why does it needed and why did it switch? Says Rabbeinu Bachai. By saying Bani Bachari Yisrael, Hashem is cluing in Paro into an idea that he should recognize and realize that it's not for his own zchus that Klal Yisrael is in his possession. And it's not because it's easy for God to do this. Let's read Rabbeinu Bachai. And he quotes Rabbeinu Hananel. So this is a thought that's a thousand years old. This thought. It's not only 800 years old from Rabbeinu Bachai. It's a thousand years old. This thought is from before the time of Rashi, from Rabbeinu Hananel. Says Rabbeinu Hananel. Masha misartim biyadcha l'shabedosam. That, Paro, that which you are subjugating my people. Al tachshov shehu mebreshim kalim be'enai. Don't think it's because I don't like them so much. They're not so beloved to me. Don't think that this is easy. Excuse me, easy for me. Lo ratziti eliyasram. I need them to be in here, like we started off. They need to be in servitude. They do, for the good of the nation building. Kenyan shekasuv yadatim lo vavecha kikasher yaser ishes beno. Hashem alakechem yasreka. Like a parent has to scold a child, this is my scolding them. But it's not easy for me. It's not easy for me. Like the parent that says, you know what, you don't deserve, you can't have dessert, I'm sorry, but you know what, I'm not going to have dessert either, because you're not having dessert. And you can't have it, because that's the consequence, but it's not easy for me, Hashem is telling Paro. And therefore, Paro realized, they're my Ben Bachar. Ben Bachar means my beloved firstborn child. They're very special to me. They're not in Egypt because of any fault of their own. They're doing it because they have to be in the Kura Barzel. This is my nation building. This is how I determine. But because you think it's you, so I'm going to have to teach you that it's not you. And I'm going to take your Bincha Bacharecha. makos. It's the last Maka. V'karim b'ni b'chari Yisrael derech hashivus umala. But b'ni b'chari is a Lashon of hashivus. Like Harsinai has a Lashon of hashivus harashem. And the Beis Amigdash has a harashem. And therefore, if you look at all, he goes through all the psukim. Makas b'choros is mentioned here. And he says, that's why you're missing the point. You think, oh, God has forsaken them and forgotten them. And who is this God? No, no. This is all part of the plan. They're my ben b'chari. Step one. But now, why in the next Pasuk is it not referred to as Bini B'chori? Because inherently they are. And that's what I am stating to you, Paro. But the next Pasuk is describing the state they're in right now. Let my Ben go. Right now they don't appear so beloved. And I recognize that. 
And Hashem says, it hurts me too. Says the, he gets somewhat al-derech uh, ms kabbalistically here towards the end of the piece where he says that it is Hashem is imo anochi b'tzara. And that's why he says, he doesn't call them Bechar while they're in Mitzrayim. Inherently they are, but then he says, Shalach is Bini, not Bini Bechar, because that's not, that's not manifest in Mitzrayim. So he doesn't call them Bechari, which re- reflects the special connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the state they're in now. I'm telling you the truth. What inherently is the fact. But the very next passage says, send out my Ben. That's just my Ben. That's not my Ben HaBechar, because right now it does not manifest what they, the state that they are in. Okay, let's try to squeeze in two more thoughts for the for the evening. First one. We know, t- next sukkim, talk about very mysterious story. Mysterious, very hard to put one's finger on. It's mysterious. Moshe Rabbeinu not giving Mila to his son. They're traveling, and it's very unclear. By I'm alone, and there's a snake that comes, and Sipporah saves the day. Unclear exactly what's happening in that story. But the question is asked, it's clear that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't give Rizmila to his son. The question is, why not? So Rashi quotes. Rashi goes, why didn't he give Rizmila to his son? Because he was nervous. There's a sakana. Hashem tells me to go back to Egypt. So what am I going to do? But I have to do Brismila. If I do Brismila now, I can't travel for a couple of days because he's going to be sick. So I'm not going to be able to follow God's word. So you know what? Better I'll follow God's word. Go travel. And I won't give Brismila because I'm nervous that on the travel, during the traveling, he's, it's going to be dangerous. That's Rashi. Asks the Musar Anavim, commentary on Navi, and Sefer Yoshua. One minute. Don't we all remember the Rashi in Parsha Zosabracha? Uvarischa Yinsoru. What does Rashi say there? There was one Shevet that did Brismila in the Midbar. Shevet Levi. Moshe Rabbeinu? Shevet Levi. Because they were Moser Nefesh. And they didn't worry about the Sakana. Ask the Musar Anavim. So what about Moshe Rabbeinu? He was worried about the Sakana, line 10. I don't understand. Well, he was, no, he was worse than the rest of Shevet Levi? So he suggests the creative answer based on a Rambam. We have to mention a Rambam because today's the Rambam's yard site, Chavteves. Says the Rambam. But the question is a halachic answer. If there is a sin that is not Yehorig Va'al Yavar, I don't have to give my life for it. The halacha is, I have to violate. Yavar Va'al Yehorig. Could somebody volunteer Yehorig Va'al Yavar? Somebody allowed to volunteer? I, I don't have to give my life, but I want to give my life for this Avera. So when I'm allowed to do that, that is a major machlokas we shown him. The Rambam says, no way. The Rambam says, it is usher to volunteer giving one's life. There are, why? Because you have the counterpressure, there's a mitzvah of Chaybahem. You're not allowed to volunteer. And other Rishon and Bali Tosva say, no, no, you could volunteer in certain cases. But, says the Nemuki Yosef, it's quoted here in Source 15 of the Kesef Mishnah on the Rambam. Even the Rambam would agree, even though m- most people cannot volunteer, if you're a Gadol Ador, if you're somebody that everybody looks at, like, remember the story in the Gemara, about Elisha Balkanafayim, he risked his life for tefillin, and then they turned it to the wings of, of, of a dove. How did he do that? So somebody showed him, say, what would the Rambam do with that Gemara? If you're a Gadol Ador and everybody looks at you as a leader, so then you're allowed to be Moser Nefesh. Because that's a model. That's a model. You could go above and beyond for Baruch, but even the Rambam would agree to that. 
That's what the Kesem Mishnah here quotes from the Namuki Yosef. You're allowed to do it. So suggest the Musar Anavim. All of Shevet Levi, they were the leaders of Klal Yisrael, right? They were the ones that carried the Aron, and they were the ones that, that carried the, uh, all the Kalim of the Mishkan throughout the desert. So they knew that they were the leaders. And therefore, they were Moser Nefesh. And they did it. They volunteered. Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't hold himself so as a Gadladar. He didn't think of himself as, me, Yachin and Chassid Bedor, me. That's why he didn't do it. You could also say he was in private then. He wasn't in the nation yet. But the first answer he likes, he was a chassid and, and tzaddik bedoro, but he didn't, Moshe Rabbeinu, anav mikal adam. He didn't recognize that. And that's why he himself didn't do it. Ingenious. Okay, finally, just to end with a thought that's said by many of the, the Rebbes, I gave it to you from, uh, in Rabbi Emanuel Bernstein's Sefer. He said he heard this from his father, by Isaac Bernstein, who says, on the Pasik. Vayifen kovacho vayar ki ein ish. Looking back to Beis Yud Beis, we'll end with this. He looked this way and that way. Vayar ki ein ish. So many Alderat Drush ideas back in source number seven. Right? He looked this way and that way. So he quotes this from his father. I think I was trying to find it today, but I think one of the Rebbes also says this. Vayar ki ein ish. Moshe Rabbeinu comes out of the palace. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Hebrew Egyptian. Or maybe in Egyptian Hebrew. There's a difference. But he had certain Hebrew values. He had certain Egyptian values. Vayif and Kovacho. He looked this, at this side of him. He looked at that side of him. He was an Egyptian and he was a Hebrew. He was a Mitzri. He was a Yehudi. Vayif and Kovacho Vayar. He saw he can no longer continue trying to do both. He can no longer have inside of him competing opposite values. If there is something about the country in which we find ourselves that goes along with Torah values, then wonderful, we could take it. But if there is something that, that contradicts Torah values, then we cannot. Moshe Rabbeinu, being an Egyptian and being a Jew can no longer, as he sees this Egyptian beat up the Jew, there's no such thing. He can't be an ish. He can't be a man anymore like this. And therefore, what does he have to do? He beats up and he hits the Mitzri side of him and he becomes a Yehudi. And that was the turning point of Moshe's identification. He is no longer a Hebrew Egyptian or an Egyptian Hebrew. He is only an Ivri. He is only someone who identifies totally with HaKadosh Baruch Okay, let's stop here. We will continue now that we had a Haschala Baruch Hashem into Sefer Shmos.